listening to Coming Home Podcastle, the only and official podcast of Sports Blog Nation's Newcastle United blog, Coming Home Newcastle. Greetings and welcome to episode 26, the long-awaited 26th episode of Coming Home Podcastle, which um, for very witty reasons, at least in my own head, I am calling the Newton's First Law of Motion edition of the podcast, um, which of course is the object at rest, tends to stay at rest, etc., etc., yeah, we didn't mean to take that long of a break. I uh, didn't really mean to take any kind of break, but uh, things happen, and um, some personal stuff happened that kind of got us off track, and then Newton's Law happened, as I mentioned. But anyway, here we are, like a a long-lost uncle. We're here to sleep on your sofa and uh, lay around in our undershirts and whatever all else. So And say offensive things. Yes, um, belch and kind of scratch our butts and all that good stuff. With me this week, we have a special surprise. I have, as always, Rosie Brazant, um, my managing editor at Coming Home Newcastle on the SB Nation blog network, and also Konal Kazing is with us this this time around. For the first time in way too long, Um of course, I have travoltified because I'm topical. The names of my co-hosts, uh, <laughs> uh, Robert Bishop, is with us, and also Callum King joins us all the way from Newcastle today. Um, how are you guys doing, Robert? Um, I am well. I can't speak for Callum though. I'm I'm well too. As long as everyone else is, I'm okay. Um, I apologize. I got distracted for a second. Um, I wanted to blame the the hiatus on on Alan uh, Alan Hoffman, who had done a number of podcasts with us, because um, he's not here to defend himself. So, Alan, it's all your fault. Shaking my fist at you. Um, I, th- I thought we'd just blame it on Alan Pardew. In <laughs> what form would that take? Why Why would we blame it on Pardew? Uh, why not? It's science, right? Science, yeah. Great. Well, here we are, and um, glad to be back doing it, uh, trying a new um, format for getting this done, so hopefully that all works out. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Uh, If not, then we can always claim that science is against us because that is uh, what, what you do. And speaking of science... As long as we're in this little chitty-chatty here, I wanted to to scientifically prove that I am responsible for the better form for the club, or at least the better results over the last two matches, and I can do this. So um, when we were losing all the time and not scoring goals, I drank exactly zero Newcastle Brown Ales during the match. Uh-huh. And then starting with the Aston Villa match, I took it upon myself. I started drinking Newcastle Brown Ale during the match, and we won. And then they were all 12-ounce bottles. This is important that they were all 12-ounce bottles. I then, for the whole match, 
finished the rest of my 12-ounce bottles that I had from the six-pack that I had gotten, and then I drank a 22-ounce, or no, it wasn't 22, it's 18-ounce bottle, and we won again, but Alan Pardew headbutted somebody. So, <laughs> if you're following me here, we're winning because I'm drinking Newcastle Brown Ale, and Alan Pardew headbutted somebody because I had the 18-ounce bottle and not the 12-ounce bottles. It's science. If only there were a beer commercial that espoused the same philosophy. <laughs> that, that if you drink beer at the right time, then good things will happen to your team. <laughs> if, if you don't get that one, Callum, over there, it's, there's a Bud Light campaign. I think it's Bud Light, isn't it? That yes. It's um, only weird if it doesn't work and something about drinking beer helps your team and all. It's only it, on all. every commercial break on every channel for the last year. <laughs> so anyway, clearly that obviously has no effect um, unless when the next match comes around and I'm not drinking or am drinking and we lose or win commensurately, then whatever. Um, we have some mailbag questions, and I know that there have been some added to the... One, one added to. Okay, one added to the, the mailbag, but let us start in, and I will go ahead and pass that to you, Robert, and actually I would be interested to have Callum answer this question first, the, the one that is in the notes. Actually, if you give me just one second, I've got to let my stupid dog out. Oh, okay. Uh, speaking of stupid dogs, no. Um, I'll go ahead and in in the mailbag from at Steve O'Donnell one, we had the question: with the headbutt, how much longer will Alan Pardew be in the EPL? And I will pass that to you, Callum. Um, does he mean in a job or how long on the touchline? Or if he means if he means in a job. I'm going to say at least until the end of next season. I can't see him getting sacked. Yeah. I can't see him. He's too arrogant to walk. But if, if he carries on with his touchline behaviour, Mike Ashley will eventually have to do something about it. But unless unless something dramatic happens, like another headbutt, I can see him being safe for in, at least another year and a bit, maybe two years. Yeah, if he does get chased eventually from Newcastle, which I... I mean, right now it feels like that's never going to happen because there's been plenty of reason uh, to to do that. But if he does get chased, do you think he'll get another job in in the Premier League? Um, maybe a maybe a recently promoted team, but I can't see him getting a another gig like new, like a Newcastle job or an Everton or Southampton. But someone like a Cardiff City, I'd think they'd take him, or he could probably get a job top level in the Championship. Crystal but, Palace. Crystal Palace, yeah, would be, wouldn't he want to go there? Yeah, that's a team I could see him take. Someone like a Palace. Yeah, that was the, the big narrative uh, a while back, um, I guess back in December or November around that time, was that uh, Pardew would be going back to Crystal Palace. He was going to walk away from Newcastle and whenever, before they hired... away from his contract, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean... It's funny because we it's it's very selective. We want people to be um, loyal to a club, or we expect <laughs> them to be, and then I I don't know I don't in, know where I was unless going with we, that. Unless we unless we don't like them, then we don't want them to be loyal. 
right? Um, well, I, I, if I can interject real quickly, I, I sure. absolutely agree with Callum. I think we've had a couple pieces up on the site lately that have sort of said the same thing. You know, Pardew's not going anywhere. He's got that contract. He's doing exactly what Mike Ashley wants him to do, which is keep them safe and maybe not necessarily get into Europe. And uh, uh, I, I think I called this the at least this half of the season is the lame duck era. doesn't matter what Pardew does. We're, we've made it to the end of the season. This is the end of the season, and um, this will be a blip on the radar, uh, this headbutt thing, when, when all is said and done and he served his time. I mean, we're expecting Mike Ashley to <coughs> react to this headbutt gate, but this is the same guy that brought Joe Kinnear back in for a director of football role. It's hard, it's hard to predict somebody who will do something like that. Fair enough. Um, so that's a... You said there was another mailbag question? Uh, actually, we now have three. Oh, wow. Total. So let me start with this one. This is, I, I believe, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but we'll address it anyway. Uh, and I'll just read it verbatim, so don't blame me for the language, okay? Okay. Uh, why is Vernon so perf? Because he is perf. <laughs> Callum, why is Vernon so perf? Because he's just the best pass of a football I've ever seen at Newcastle. He's a great player, and anyone who doesn't love him just doesn't doesn't understand life. <laughs> oh, Callum's going hard. Oh, that hurt. <laughs> I, I love Vernon and Anita. And when we talk about who can replace Kabai later, I've got my answer. I mean, ultimately, before (coughs) I, uh, and I don't get to be right very often, but uh, when I do, I sure talk about it a lot. Um, When we were worried about Kabai leaving over the the summer or last January or whenever it was, I mean, we've been worried about him leaving since he got here, it seems like. Um, I said, you know, I, I think we can survive without, replacing him if it came to that because of Vernon Anita and I think that we're kind of seeing that playing out a little bit. He's just he's just such a good footballer to watch. He just he keeps it on the deck and he just <coughs> plays he just plays passes that no one else can see. He, like Kabai, he's a he's, he's a one off host and if he plays I guess next year I don't see him maybe leaving going on to a bigger club because he he is such a talented player. You heard it here first. Vernon Anita will be playing at PSG in the 15-16 Premier League season. We just kicked off a whole series of articles at Canal Plus. Um, uh, I don't want to start a thing. I think Callum maybe thinks I try to pick on him a lot because I'm always going after him for his musical opinions and, and sometimes about Paul Dummett as well. Um, I like Vernon Anita a lot. I don't think he's there yet. I want more consistency from him. But uh, I think he gets a little bit too much Twitter love. But, uh, you know, let's celebrate him. Why not? Uh, he's, he's a, as Callum said, I love that he keeps the ball in the deck. Um, excellent passer of the football. Um, just, just need him to show up in those attacking situations a little more consistently. Um, he's 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 trying to play box to box, but he's not he's not quite. It's more like uh, I don't know, draw a line ten yards on either side of the box, and that's what he's playing instead. 
I mean, do you really think that's that's him though, or and not direction from or direction such as it is from our tactically well, astute, wonderful man manager Alan Pardew? I wouldn't rule that out. Um, on the other hand, it's how many times have we, you know, we're on the counter, we're down there, and somebody's on the edge looking for somebody to pass to in the middle, and we've got nobody there. Somebody's got to step up. And we've, if you're playing alongside a Chuck Teote, for example, he can play free safety for you, to borrow a term from another sport. But he, he can, he, you know, he can cover you if you if you run up a little bit. I'm, this is nitpicking. I'm not trying to you know, expose a major hole in his game. It's not. But I just, I want more consistency is all, I, is all I'm saying. Um, all right, Callum, I'll give you rebuttal time here since since Robert's had a go at you. Well, we're, we're safe now. I, I mean, we're probably going to finish eighth. So until from, from now until the end of the season, I think Paul Drew should just say to Anita, just let him play behind the striker, tell him not to worry about his defensive duties, and just see how he plays as like a number 10 behind De Jong and Remy. See if it works out. If not, we've got some fine replacement. But if it does work, Pardew's healed as a genius. <laughs> if if he's even allowed to be near the stadium. Well, well, <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? We'll find out about Yavin or. I think tomorrow is the is uh, the deadline for him to respond to the charge, yeah. and then ostensibly ostensibly he will say, "No, you're right. That was wrong." And they'll say, okay, seven games or whatever. <laughs> and just real quick, because I didn't allow time in, in the notes for this, but just one, uh, in one word, two words, whatever, how long <coughs> do you think the Alan Pardew ban will be, Robert? Um, I think it'll be around seven games. I don't think they'll go remainder of the season ten games. I think they'll... Um, I think that's they'll the mitigating circumstances of Myler sort of maybe starting it or at least continuing it um, with his shove will be uh, factored in, and they won't go the full ten. But I think it'll be more than the standard three, so I'll say seven. I've got I got a uh, prediction on Twitter. The same guy who gave us the first question, Steve O'Donnell, one uh, says he thinks it'll be remainder of the season. I asked for predictions for this on Twitter, and he's the only one who responded. I'm sure, Callum. What do you what do you think the band's going to end up being? Ten games, just because of his past behaviour. Yeah. I think look at everything he's done over his career, like with Wenger last season with Lainsman, this season with Pellegrini, and I think they'll want to set a precedent <laughs> with Alan Pardew. Ten yeah. games. Yeah. I can see that too. I don't know. I mean, was the Pellegrini thing really worth consideration in this? I mean, he he did say shut your noise and used a pretty nice word that I'll probably leave out of the podcast in case there's any kids listening, but um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't really do anything that bad in that situation, did he? I don't know. I think um, I think it's going to be the rest of the season. Uh, you know, three games would have been standard for a player like we saw with Remy, who actually made more contact than Pardew, but I. I think that he's a player, though. I mean that. Yeah, I mean they're setting it up, and the the league managers uh, union or whatever that I forget what it's called, but the the chief of the league managers group has refused to come out and back Pardew, which right. I mean it's it's all being laid up for for a pretty severe yeah. ban, I think. But the thing that makes me think that that's a definite possibility is that the media has got a hold of it, and it's been a a big thing, and so they'll just want to get rid of it. And what better way to do that than to say, "Don't come back until August." <laughs> you know. 
Indeed. Um, let's uh, carry on with the mailbag. Sure. Okay. I got one that says, um, "Should we sign Dijon long term?" I'm not convinced yet. That's from uh, Joe Dodger at Joe Dodger 17. Thanks, Joe. I know that we've had mailbag questions from you before. Uh, mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Actually, I think isn't isn't his his name Jose? Maybe. Yes, but his Twitter handle is Joe. His, right, his, yeah. yeah. I oh. just didn't want to call him Joe if that was technically sure. not accurate. But anyway, I think we should. I think that this is a – as long as we're going to keep Alan Pardew around, this is the kind of striker that we need. And this this is what Josie Altador could have brought if we had <sighs> – if that had actually been a thing. But this is exactly the th kind of thing I was going on about when we were trying to make that be a thing over the summer and it was all fun and everything, and Callum got Josie to respond and say that Newcastle was a beautiful club, which is still a high point in my life, even if nothing ever came of it. Right. But, um, the, you know, ever since Andy Carroll was sold, we... I mean, Demba Ba could do it to a certain extent, but he was much more interested in... Uh-huh. Doing Demba Ba things than playing that way for Alan Pardew. Uh, and it looks like De Young is, you know, perfectly willing to do those things. And if we're gonna get Remy in, which is not a, a done deal, or if we're gonna keep <laughs> Papis, um I, I really believe that he's the kind of player that, that we need up at the top there. Um don't you think, Callum? That's um, in the summer we're going to need we're going to need a lot of strikers. So if we've got the option to get him permanently, do that as soon as we can. Yeah. Because I, I can't say we're keeping Remy or CC or Shula. Start with Luke De Jong. Start rebuilding with him. But I mean, it depends who who else is a target in the summer. Man, that's a that's a crazy possibility that CC. Of course, Remy. Uh, I've never thought we'd be able to retain him. And Shola could all leave. That's that's nuts. Um, which to me says we need to be getting Adam Armstrong in the games now. Um, I don't want to open up a whole <laughs> bag of worms, but um, here we go. Let's see see what we got with him. But uh, I love Dejong, what he brings to the team. Um, I think is if he's not the number one expected to score the majority of the goals, that's um, that's a great role for him. The problem is if we sign him and don't bring anybody in to support then you're going to be asking him to play two separate roles and that's not going to work. So, uh, But, uh, yes, uh, sign him up. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no historical evidence that we would not sign somebody in right. order to... Exactly. So there we go. Yes, yes, please sign Luke de Jong. Can, um, I, can I insert a question of my own? Not, sure. Not, not Adam Armstrong related. Um, <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to get a quick from you. Um, if you had to choose, uh, I don't know why this would happen, but let's just say you had to choose between signing Dijon and Remy, who would you who would you keep? And you were able to do either one. Money's equal, whatever. I'm trying to remove all the obstacles. Just pick one. I would take Remy, I think, if I had to choose one or the other at this point for the, the simple fact that he's shown that he can score within the constructs of the club the way it's set up right now. Um, you know, he was scoring without De Jong, which he's going to score probably with De Jong. I mean, but, you know, you don't know that De Jong has 
the confidence back. You know, he's kind of like Cisse right now. Scored a lot of goals at one point, and then now not. So, um, you know, Remy has shown that he can score within this squad. So I think that's where you go. Um, I'd I'd go for Remy too. He's he's a natural finisher, and there's not many of them about. But players like Luke Dion, there's a few. He can get a big target man, but definitely Remy for me. Right. I agree with you guys. I think a target man is easier to find than a than a Remy. I I, uh, I still rate him very highly. I think he's he's class, um, and he's he's maybe the best player we have right now, which is saying something that he's on loan. Fair okay. enough. Um, another mailbag question. Uh, this, this one is addressed specifically to Callum from uh, also from at Joe Dodger seventeen Jose. Uh, top five SFBs in the UFC of all time. Right. So, number one, it's got to be Boom Song. Number two, Kasaba. Number three, um, Bramble. Number four, Joey Borden. And number, <laughs> and number five, um, Michael Owen. Michael Owen. Oh. That's, it. That's it. Now, what was the question again? <coughs> <coughs> I'm sorry. I've got bronchitis. Seriously. Nobody got time for that. Thank thank you. I'm glad you were able to pick up what I was laying down. Top five SFBs in UFC of all time. SFBs. What what does that mean? It's it's probably a bit too lewd for the podcast, the language used. Okay. So you can put that together, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um. Let's just say the biggest bastards at NUFC. <laughs> okay. Gotcha, gotcha. And you said, um, who was your number two? Kasaba. Oh. And that's, probably a bit, that's probably a bit harsh on Kasaba, but he's the only one that came in my head straight away, so. <laughs> is that Tamuri? Uh, or, or is... Claudio Kasaba. Oh, okay. I... I I'm sorry, I've had Tamari Ketsbaya in my head. I thought that I'd... Because... <laughs> I Just because. And I thought I'd been mispronouncing his name for a long time is is what I didn't... Yeah, okay. Anyway. That's a pretty good list. I don't think I can really... Um, I was trying to think of... I think, I think the only ones I would add would be people that I personally hated. <laughs> you know, Alan Smith or something. Um, <laughs> who wasn't doesn't really fit the category. Okay, um, that's it for me, except for a comment uh, that says more pop tarts are the best. There you go. Um, which, I, I haven't had a s'mores obvious, pop. Obviously, I disagree with, but wh- whatever. Yeah. I, I know that they're better than the the peanut butter pop tarts because because those were really not very good at all. So. And there you go. There was a very brief Pop-Tart talk. Uh, And now into the the real meat of what has been going on lately. Um, In the news is the next section, which both of these first two topics have been covered on the site, so we don't necessarily need to get into them really (coughs) deeply. But um, the, the big story... I guess prior to the whole match was the club financials, and we've got obviously a long, long period where we hadn't potted. So we'll just hit this uh, 
-hmm. really quickly here. Um, it, it is fun. I keep going back to this uh, phrase because it's one of the Monty Python little skits that always sticks in my head when we're talking about money. It's fun to sail the accountancy. Uh, is that the one with the the net shilling or whatever? Or is that a different one? No, it's a different one. This one okay. is the one where they're in a huge building and it's it's part of, I think, the meaning of life maybe. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But, um, you know, they play with the numbers and financial fair play allows for player amortization um, mm -hmm. and that all happened, I covered that all in a piece interpreting the, the financial report on, on the site, cominghomenewcastle.com. Um, basically, any players that are brought in, you can divide up their transfer fee across the number of years of the deal that is signed by the player when you buy them. And so even though over the 12-13 season we were in a net negative spend of 14.5 million pounds, basically we could spread that all out and then um, it turned us from that 14.5 million net loss on players to a roughly 7.375 million profit through this amortization. But um, if you want to read all about that, uh, by all means, go to the to the site cominghomenewcastle.com and and read that. Uh, it kind of explains it out pretty well and talks about the rest of the financial picture, specifically looking at the very end where this was addressed in the fans forum meeting. Uh, I guess almost. I guess it was a week ago. It feels like longer, but. Yeah. They were talking about, asked about, again, the advertising that Sports Direct receives for free, essentially, at St. James's Park. And they kept on going back, the club representatives, you know, $120 million interest-free loans, mm -hmm. and no advertisers going to give you that much money. But And the thing that I would rebut to that is that nobody's going to get it absolutely free either. Right. Um, I don't know where this is going to go eventually, but really this advertising really needs to be coming off of this $129 million. Uh, I mean, the, I don't think there's any up and up above board way to do that. But Maybe um, just figure the market value for a club of similar size. I don't know how you would go about determining that, but sure, surely there's an accountant somewhere that can figure that out and I, I don't know it's uh, it's just shady you know and the whole football world is like it Every, everybody's doing the amortization I don't can't even say the word um, but and so you know it's it's not there's nothing illegal or maybe even shady about it but it feels slimy you know and the the, the main takeaway I got from it is um, where we I think the club was right to be scared about financial fair play because um, we've had the recent news that 76 clubs have been there's UEFA is opening an investigation into them. But at the same time, here's a club like Chelsea over here who's not one of those 76 clubs, and look how much spending they've been able to. You know, they've been too cautious about it. So, um, and then the other thing is, I don't think this club is ever going to be sold, and it makes me sad. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, over, 
I guess it's over the entire Ashley period. The the business model has always been towards this uh, financial fair play. It wasn't <coughs> said to be that way, but it it's pretty well given that way, I guess, or pr proven out that way. Um, and I just wonder, and I'm kind of working on a, a piece for the site about this, but are we really on our way to Mike Ashley's promised land where the, the club is a self-sustaining entity and and all of that, where all of the pain and all of this non-spending and all of the, the aggravation is going to, to pay off and be worth it? That's um, where I wonder if we're there. Do you, do you think that that's a, a possibility, Callum, or do you think it's going to be all the, the same same old, same old under him. As, as long as Mike actually is here, I can't see Newcastle spend, ever spending too much money. I mean, I think this summer we'll, maybe we'll spend 25, 30 million rebuilding the entire squad. But I'd say that's actually his maximum limit. That's as far as he would go. I, I don't think, even if we were to make 20 million pound profit, 30 million pound profit a year, I don't think we'll ever spend that much again. Like, like how much we're spending that Freddie Shepard and that. I'd say we're pretty, we've got low limit for spending. In, in a way, that can be a good thing because we won't get into the trouble that uh, we saw for the relegation yeah. season. But at the same time, it's frustrating, and we all know why. Um, I think the the part of it that you're talking about, about sustainability, Jim, um, that's I don't think it's ever going to happen as long as we're not investing properly in the academy. Um it, it, at the very least, during the during the previous years prior to this one, e even if we only signed one or two senior players, we were bringing in three, four, five projects, the Romano Malfitanos and the Mediabides, etc., to come and join the academy um, or the the reserves, if you will, um, and and sort of prop up that youth system. But we've we we added uh what's his name Stringer Bell, um, the guy who calls himself Stringer Bell on Twitter, uh, Olivia Kama. Um, and that's it. And we barely got the Category 1 status this time around. Um, Did, has that been confirmed? Did we get that? I, I thought so, but um, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but but the, the, the point is, it took, it took several years for Ashley to even invest the money into that, which I think I could be just blowing smoke, but I, was, I, I think it's like 100,000 pounds, you know? Um, <laughs> Just invest the money in the academy. At the very least, we ought to be devoting resources towards that, and it doesn't seem like it, the club has made it a priority. And if it's not a priority, then sustainability is just a pipe dream. Well, and that's uh, the the academy is one of the the invisible things out there that we don't know how much was put into it in order to try to get category one status, whether or not it worked. Um, so that's a, another expense in the financial picture to to have to account for that we can't. So, um, yeah, I could I could go on about the the financial picture of the club for a long time, but uh, we're also I'll, we're also not seeing the results of players coming up and doing and playing. Uh, how long has it been since we've had a player that we promoted from within that's had a, a major impact? Um, surely, certainly there's a couple, um, but James Tavernier, he's still in League One, kicking around on loan. Um, doesn't look like he's ever going to get called up back up to the club because uh, the last time he played in a 
and a senior shirt was the 7-3 loss to Al Arsenal. <laughs> um, uh, we've, we've got other players that have been the next big thing that have petered out. And um, I know there's some, I guess you could say Sammy Amiobi is, a, is an internal guy, but we're just not seeing the results that, that other clubs are. And um, I think if we want to climb that ladder, um, and that's a big if, if, if that's something we even want to do, um, but if we want to climb that ladder, um, then, then we're not. Uh, we've got to get there, as far as the academy is concerned, because that's the that's sort of the market inefficiency, if you will. Especially if we're not going to be spending money on players in the transfer market. I think that that's. I mean, that's a true point. But I also think that the the academy numbers and the the clubs that are leading academy development. Uh, if you will, it's kind of a, a false number in and of itself because I think like uh, Manchester City or Arsenal or you know one of those big clubs are leading those numbers, but they also uh, Chelsea maybe they also buy all the expensive kids, and so the likelihood sure. for success is is much higher. But Okay, but when's the last time we developed a player? I guess Paul Dummett, maybe? Um, but, but ask Callum. Ask Callum how many English players Newcastle United are developing, right? Callum, how many <laughs> English players are Newcastle United developing? I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, um, maybe there's Adam Armstrong, Adam Campbell. Yeah. But that's that's really it. What happened yeah. to Adam Campbell, you know? Well, he's, he's peered out like a lot of players have. Yeah. Well, and, and that happens. Prospects, the the hit rate is not very high. But we just I mean, even I'm, haven't had that many prospects, to be honest with you. Adam Campbell is young enough to come back from Scotland and do do something like Paul Dummett did. I mean, Paul Dummett had a run of games now, and maybe Adam Campbell can do the same next season. But apart from him and Adam Armstrong, there's nobody coming up with a youth system who everyone's getting excited about, like an Andy Carroll or another player like that. That is a good point. Andy Carroll was a was a, an academy guy, so yeah. yeah I mean, um, that's that's what I'm saying. Though is he's he's a bygone of a previous era, though. Well, surely. Uh, there's also Gail Biggie Ramana. He's an English kid, but um, you yeah. know, that's yeah. that's a big ask for him to. I guess he's been <laughs> injured. I I read. Um, he he since played the for the, the under 21s the other day. Right. Interesting. Well. Uh, We've got a bunch left to get through, so I'm going to go ahead and steer us back to... Um, Sorry, I'm, I guess I'm prone to getting us off track. Well, I think both of us are prone to getting us off track because sure. that's what we do. But there is a bunch left. I'll kind of just really speed through this one. Um, I wrote a, a pretty big piece on, on the site about Headbutt Gate and then the Luke Edwards classism scandal where... One sentence really turned Luke Edwards' uh, public opinion of him into being a, a classist, and so I'll, I'll again send you to the website comminghomenewcastle.com uh, for you to read that there because I don't need to talk through it again because that was several words well, on the site. I don't want to just speed through that because I do want to emphasize that this is a, a piece that you should be reading. Um, uh, these last two pieces that Jim's written about the. Headbutt, headbutt gate. Man, I hate putting gate on the end of everything. Watergate was 40 years ago, people. Let's come up with a different way to do this. Um, but uh, the piece that Jim wrote about the Alan Pardew situation and about the, the financial report, both uh, 
very strong. Um, and I encourage you, if you're listening to this and you haven't read them, go find them, especially this this one on Luke Edwards. It doesn't have any comments, which I thought was, man, I really thought that people would get in there. But I think the, maybe one of the reasons is that it just stated it so well, especially towards the end, um, just sort of nailed it to the wall. And uh, I thought it was a, a, a very good sort of synthesis of the things that are going on around the club um, in the last week or so. Um, this this headbutt thing has gone international. People that um, that I know that barely even know what team I follow because they don't care about the sport uh, have have asked me about <laughs> about the the manager that headbutted a player on the field. <laughs> and so um, it, it's it's gone international. It's become a big deal, and I think that you succinctly sort of captured the sort of media narrative uh, about that and I thought that what you had to say about Luke Edwards line which I agree was really uh, unnecessary and maybe maybe even a bit ignorant I don't know that might be a strong term um, but I, I really appreciated what you had to say about that so I don't want to just gloss over that I really want to encourage people to go to go read that well I appreciate that um... It, it was a, a hard process to, to get that written, so um, or a long process at least. Sure. Uh, did you have anything to add to either of those from from your perspective, Al or Callum, about Alan Pardew or Luke Edwards? Yeah, well, I think Twitter and yourself summed it up well. There's nothing really much to add. I mean, there was the outrage and people sympathizing with him, but I'd, I'd advise, like what I just said, I'd advise everyone to go read what you're saying leave comments on it, see what they think as well. Yeah, Yeah. at least go and, and leave a comment about a Pop-Tart or something because, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, like Robert mentioned, you know, it's kind of sad that there were no comments on that. And, you know, I don't need the – I don't necessarily need validation, but it's just nice to have it. So, um, <laughs> anyway, been... I wanted – I, I did see that you had a couple conversations with people on Twitter about it, and I thought that those were uh, fairly productive for the most part. So, uh, it's, it's always nice to see people uh, reacting to something on on social media without just completely resorting to name calling or something, you know. So, um, but yeah, leave a comment about a pop tart or One Direction or something, and get <laughs> get, get Callum riled up. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to tell a joke at this part, at this point in the in the podcast. So um, follow with me here. Okay. The recent stories around the club. Today's story um, is that Newcastle United are on the cusp of challenging for Europe. <laughs> oh, okay. I see. <laughs> it's a setup and the punchline. Very That's good. right. <laughs> Can, can we all resolve just very quickly that the club don't want Europe and we're not going to qualify for Europe? Um, just like Callum said earlier, we're talking about eighth place unless something bizarre and humongous happens to the positive or the negative. It's it's We're just going to play out the string and, and be there. So Europe is not even a consideration, right? Wouldn't well, it be funny if they accidentally backed into seventh place? <laughs> It all it it all depends on Man U, cause I, but I do I do want to rule it out yet. It's unlikely, but if it did happen, I I I'd be delighted with it, cause last last season Europe was amazing. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for it, but not expecting it. Yeah, they, that's the only wild card is never overestimate David Moyes. <laughs> yeah, at least not not currently, huh? Um, would I don't know. I don't want to get back into the financials again, but if we did back into Europe, if we got seventh place and got that last play in like we did last, or in the 11-12 season, got the through weird weirdness with Chelsea winning the Champions League and whatnot, got the last Europa League spot. Um, with the Kabai sale being essentially pure profit, if as long as the year-over-year numbers, again, check out the the interpreting the financials piece because I went through this all. Um, but if the Kabai sale is twenty million dollars and it's pure profit on top of a similar return of this the nine point nine million profit that we were able to claim for last season, we have a, a, a war chest of then about 30 million pounds. Do you think that we would spend it if if we make it to Europe? When, with, or with, with or without you, if we're going to need to spend it. So, yeah. yeah. I don't think we do if we don't make Europe, though. I mean, the, the bottom line is much more important to them than, than succeeding in any form, really, it seems like. They've, they've almost backed themselves into a corner, though, where they're going to have to spend 10 to $15 million on a striker, in addition to Dijon, if they do that. Um, or just just uh, really hope that Cisse comes good and they can ha- hold off any suitors that come during the summer. I mean, I, I do want to get into this, this early in the season, but a lot of players are going to leave in the summer, and we're pal- like everyone of the close powerless to stop that. And we're all going to need a massive rebuild if we want to stay up next season. Because from if like looking forward, for me next season's going to be a struggle. But if if we if we have a good summer, we can make it a little bit better. That that was a good point, and I was I was actually kind of thinking that direction as well. Um, maybe for next week's podcast, since we've been again the the genius of Alan Pardew punting the cup competitions has earned us a, <laughs> a free day off um, because Everton, who didn't have the wisdom to punt the FA Cup, actually have a match this weekend, and so we can't play them. Anyway, free day off. We are not going to have tired bodies, and Everton are going to get tired bodies. And But anyway, the, the point was maybe between us for next week is next week's podcast we can kind of think at that because I think we do need to to address that and without a match to review um, maybe next week would be a, a good time to do that so um, I think we should table that and definitely put that onto next week's ideas and um, I didn't realize that that game got moved I guess that got moved yesterday huh yep uh, so there's no match this weekend that is correct Dang it. Uh, okay. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the last couple matches, uh, a little bit about Aston Villa, because that was, a, I guess, where the fortunes turned, as it were. Um, we were doing very, very poorly, and another 90 minutes of scoreless uh, play and some 
posts hit, and and, mm-hmm. and uh, then Loic Remy did his best Pappy Cisse impersonation and scored in the 91st plus minute of play. Um, how did you feel overall about the Aston Villa match, Callum? I, I saw a lot of people that felt that we played extremely well in the second half, and that wasn't really my, my feeling on it, but how did you feel? Well, up until the 80th minute, it was one of the worst games of football. I'm sure a lot of people have watched. It was it was, it was, was really below par. Yeah. Until Mike Williamson tackled Ben Tetty, I think it was. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it was just... It, it, it matched out a lot of people probably wouldn't remember. But it, we, we turned it on after that, and we got lucky after Remy missed an open goal, basically. I mean, we got three points, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. That's right. I mean, on paper, the the points and the the league standing and all are really all that matter. It doesn't matter how you get there necessarily, but um, <laughs> yeah, I I'm glad to to hear somebody else say that because even in the second half, I felt like it, overall it was is very poor overall. But um, how did you feel about that match, Robert? Yeah, I felt like the uh, last minute goal sort of covered over what would have been a lot of frustration. Um, just because, you know, they score at the last minute, it's a win, and so everybody's happy. But I think if that doesn't happen, then we're we're spending another week talking about how awful the team are and that they can't score, which which would have been accurate, even, which was accurate anyway. They, they scored at, you know, stoppage time. It took them 80 minutes to wake up, as Callum said. Um, so I thought it was mostly a dreadful performance. I do give them credit for uh, sort of stepping it up in the last 10 minutes. Uh, clearly, Aston Villa weren't weren't interested in doing the same. Um, and so I, he, you'd hate to be one of their fans after watching that game too um, because they didn't do much better. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, uh, it was another, you know, can't believe they they actually scored one. Um, and apparently it opened the floodgates a little bit. But uh, for the next match, uh, I blame that as much on whole as I do give us credit. But, um, yeah, I just I, it was it was abject. Uh, just no, no creativity, nothing, nothing at all. Few bright spots. Um, there was one or two. I, I did appreciate the play of De Jong, especially in that match. I think that was his best match for us so far, um, because he seemed to be the one interested. Um, <laughs> he was the hungry one, um, and until 80 minutes after Williamson, man, what a tackle! Um, we have to give him credit for that, don't we? And uh, he, he's brought the brought the place to its feet and the players responded and credit to them for that but they shouldn't take that they should they should they're professionals they should play 90 minutes anyway so that that's frustrating but um, at least they responded the williamson tackle i mean that there's benteke carrying the ball down he had players wide on either side it was like 3 on 1 right and um, he managed to tackle the pass uh, to be fair benteke should have done better but um, would you say that that's the play of the season so far for us? I think so. Um, maybe recency bias, but well, um, I, and especially after our season's already over. So, um, but <laughs> postseason play of the year. It's certainly, as I sit here and think about it, and not had time to go back and review, um, I would say that's probably the most memorable moment, at least. Would you say Callum play of the season? Williamson's tackle or Kroll's double save at, oh. at Hull? 
Williamson's title, but Cruel's double save was it, it it was it was amazing. I don't actually understand how he did it, but it was it was, that again was like a Williamson title brought well life, and we got a goal straight after it. It's pretty special. Um, other standout performances, at least maybe not moments, but um, for me, ever uh, not ever. Uh, what am I trying to say? Tim Cruel against Spurs the first time, not the second mm-hmm. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, that 15 saves, uh, absolutely magical. And then um, Ben, I, I'm trying to remember who it was against even, but Ben Arthur just had a perfect game towards the beginning Aston, of the season. Aston Villa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. And, uh, and uh, that was just amazing as well. And then, then he fell off the face of the earth. But, <laughs> um, but credit to him for that performance, for sure. If we're talking outstanding moments, too, I'd like to mention Paul Dumb at school against Liverpool. <laughs> Fair enough. That's all. I, that's all I have to say about Paul Dummett. Yeah, okay. It was. <laughs> you know, I, I think this. Uh, I think this is going to get punted. I'm going to kick this one. This one out of the show notes, but it, it's worth worth noting on on the heels of the Paul Dummett goal uh, there. Did you know that? If only goals scored by Englishmen counted Newcastle United, we'd be joint bottom in the Premier League. Oh no, we're terrible. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's this. Stats are ridiculous. Doing that kind of thing is stupid. The narrative is ridiculous. Um, if if you want any frame of reference, uh, and and the somewhat unfair targeting of Newcastle United in in relation to this stat, I guess whatever. Um, Manchester City would be in the relegation zone as well if you only counted goals by Englishmen. But Manchester City are celebrated and whatever. What was um, that year that Arsenal had all Frenchmen or whatever? And yeah, that was the Invincibles, wasn't it? Yeah, and they they won the league and everything else. Yeah. They they would have been relegated that year with that stat as well. So. Surely. Um, ridiculous. Anyway, uh, we scored lots of goals against Hull, uh, and I want to ask... Callum, who was our man of the match against Hull, or for that match? Newcastle's most valuable player, I guess. Uh, Sissoko. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we were going to go for uh, Maynard Figueroa. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. <laughs> you know, you you mentioned Sissoko, and he did have a very strong match. And I and I wanted yes. to ask, can he only score goals two at a time? Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, I'm done interrupting and making really terrible jokes. Go ahead, uh, Callum, <laughs> with, with your opinion about Musa Sissoko from the whole match. Just from a whole match, he was good, but he need, he needs to start doing it more consistently. But I mean, if he can perform as half as half as well as he did against Hull from now until the end of the season, he will. He, it looks like we've got a real good player. But if he's doing that once every five matches, it's it's not going to work out. I mean, that's the frustration with Sissoko, isn't it? I mean, he looks such a great player. The highs are so high, and then the the lows are so low, and there's very little in between. He's either like out there bossing the entire game and doing Musa Sissoko things, or he's just invisible, right? And doing Musa Sissoko things. Right. 
I mean, you don't know which one. It's a complete Jekyll and Hyde, and and you you just hope that I guess you get the the Doctor Jekyll that wins out the the good over over the Henry Hyde, I guess. I mean, when when you just look at him, you you just look at him and you think he's a he looks a perfect athlete. He's uh-huh. big. He's tall. He looks strong. But he, he doesn't go in for tackles as he would expect him to. He looks like he could be a Yoyo Tory-like player with his size and his power. But he doesn't—he doesn't go in enough. He just—he does, doesn't use his power. I mean, that—that that was the the comparison that was popular when when he came in or after his first match or two for for us was um, a Yaya Tory or a or a Vieira, right? That, that's what he could be if he if he just started going over tackles a little bit more and getting forward just a little bit more. He could he could be one of them players. Not maybe not as good as them, but as effective for us as they were for their teams. I think that's an important distinction: being yeah. as good as someone or being as effective in in the terms of of what you're doing for your club. I think I yeah, I probably don't take that into account as much as I should. That's well stated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man of the match for me was Pardew. <laughs> uh, no, um, I thought Sosoko was was uh, brilliant as well. Um, and the the main takeaway for me um, was that the the players were motivated. Um, I don't know. I'm not trying to attribute that to any one person, but the narrative has been that the players don't care. But uh, certainly Sosoko did on that day, and a couple of others as well. Um, and I think if we didn't have, if we didn't spend so much time this week talking about the headbutt, that would be, that would be the main story. Is um, you know, look at look at how Sissoko came ready to play this week, and Tiote, and uh, you know, Remy and Dijon looked like a decent partnership. Um, maybe we've got something there with those two players um, that are going to maybe leave at the end of the season. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we do. I mean, we've got the option on De Jong. I, that, yeah. That's been confirmed. We have option to buy on him. Um, yeah, I know. You know I the, just uh, just like pointing out that our <laughs> two of our bright spots are on loan. So that's yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, but the positive things from some of those players, I, I thought that uh, um, they came to play, and that I was happy to see that. It does help that whole city have put in one of the worst defensive performances I've ever seen. And that's that's before you even consider that back pass. Um, <laughs> uh, Bruce was just getting abused all day, and uh, Figure, Figueroa was was dreadful. And um, so certainly that's not a four goal performance against a decent back line. But uh, still, it's four goals that they scored in the Premier League, and um, I think that if they came out flat like they did against, say, Sunderland, um, they, they don't score four goals. So they, they had to work for it, and uh, I appreciated that. And I wish we were spending more time talking about that instead of a suspension. Right. I, it was always going to be about the headbutt once the headbutt happened. But I I wonder, <laughs> and, and in in the talking about this match and the figuring and, and all of that, is there credit to be given to Alan Pardew for the the tactic, the counterattacking tactic, and um, that the players were ready to play? It, if we're being fair to him, do we have to give him credit for that? I, I wondered. Do you, do you think that 
um, Pardue's tactics or motivational skills that Luke Edwards was was touting in in his piece uh, had an effect, Callum. Yeah, because if you if I mean watching the match, our first goal I think was scored from Denver wing on the counter attack, and Hull I think he'll play five or back with two wing backs. I mean we exploited them all day, so I think I think he did his homework on Hull and to give, to give credit to him is he was spot on. He picked the best team for it. We attacked with pace. And if it wasn't for the headbutt, he'd be against he'd be against so much praise. But obviously, things overshadow it. I, th- yeah. I think we we might give Pardew too much credit when things go right, and too much blame when they go wrong. Um, <laughs> but but if 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 we if we're gonna blame him when the players come out flat, then I guess you have to give him credit when they come out ready to play, right? So. Yeah. Part of it, too, was also Steve Bruce's tactic. When they played early in the season, he didn't go with the, the three or five or however you want to classify it in the back, um, three with two wingbacks. He, he he sort of threw a curveball, and Pardew didn't know how to adjust to it. And then Iluko stepped up and made a, an amazing goal, and they they came away with three points. Here, Steve Bruce said, ah, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just go with my traditional three, five in the back, three, five in the back, whatever you want to say, um, that – that has earned me a claim for being a uh, uh, somebody who goes against the grain, but it didn't work because it's a crappy system, especially if you've got those personnel. Um, terrible English. That that personnel grouping? I don't know. Um, so equal parts credit to part of you, blame to Steve Bruce, and of course the players, of course, had something to say as well. But um, sure, if you're going to blame him when they when they don't have any fight, and when they do have fight, I guess he gets the credit, right? I mean, it, to be fair, I guess that's the the only way for that to to occur. But um, to wrap whole city, uh, Tim Kroll's double save. Were you watching <laughs> um, Dutch national team selectors? Uh, he's your number one, uh, and just do it. Um, well, let's, let's get Timmy to Brazil. They might have been watching when he came out for that uh, ball at the beginning of the second half, too. So, um, Never happened. <laughs> which, according to people on Twitter, Pardew told him to do that. It has happened time to time. <laughs> I love I that. Oh, he got Pardew. Pardew screwed up the halftime talk again. Yeah, he totally told Tim Kroll to take a bad line on that ball. Um, anyway. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, kind of do a a lightning round to to close out this week's podcast because we're kind of up around that uh, um, time. Um, I will give you a player. Um, yes or no? We've already kind of touched on this a little bit through the podcast, but yes or no? Will this player be with the tune next year? Um, we'll start with Robert and then go to Callum on each of these. Uh, Loa Krimi. No. No. Papi Cisse. Wait, you give answers too. Oh, no, no. Okay. Papi Cisse. Uh, I'll say yes. No again. I, I think yes. I think that there's a possibility of Turkish or Russian clubs paying close to what we'll need, but I don't think it's ultimately going to happen. Um, Luke de Jong. Yes. 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 And the ultimate question, who ultimately places replaces Johan Kabai? Is it one of the 
uh, French players that we were connected with uh, that we made half-assed attempts at in January. Is it um, Juricic uh, from Portugal? Um, who is it, Robert? I, I think they will make a serious run at, run at Remy Cavella. Um, the Montpelier people continue to talk trash about Newcastle, which which tells me that the uh, that Newcastle still sniffing around. Um, so I think they will go after Cabela. Um, for me, I think I think we'll make bids for Cabela and Grenier, but I think that either Anita can replace Kabai, or if we're going to take a punt on youth, Harris Vukic. Ooh, free Vukic. Oh dear. I know. I know that's like a a big shout, and it's pr- it's probably going to get it, it's going to get blown away by everyone else. But if we're t- if we're going to take a chance, I think he can do the job like Kabai did. Hey, I'm with you, Callum. We'll fight them off together. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have, have a good luck with that. I believe what they call that is an untenable position. Um, maybe um, so, but I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in. <laughs> I think I, I still agree. I think Anita could be a direct replacement if we don't purchase. Um, I think ultimately, if we do purchase, it's not going to be French because we've kind of, in the form of Joe Kinnear, burned a lot of those bridges. Um, I think if we do buy somebody in to be that replacement, it's going to be Juricic. You know what, though? Don't rule out Sissoko eventually ending up in a partnership with Teote in the middle. Um, I could see Anita being sold even as soon as this summer. He's got a higher wage than a lot of people realize, and he could fetch a little bit of money on the transfer market. Um, He'd clear out a pretty decent number regarding um, contract amortization as well. His number is the highest of any of the players brought in in the 2012-13 season uh, at $1.34 million a year. So um, that makes... Dollars or pounds? Pounds. Did I say dollars? That's all right. Um, Um, I just wanted to clarify if you were doing a conversion or not. Yeah, no, Uh, 1.34 million pounds a year. So that'll make those financial numbers for this season even shinier if they sell them before the end of June. Yeah, so maybe I mean, I, maybe he'll be in the shop window for the next few few games, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm just reading here. Um, it's on the it's on the journal. Everyone, everyone go read it. But the reason I can't say we're selling any that is because it, it cornered Mark Douglas. James Perch was sold because Mike Ashi thought that Vernon Nida was being underused. So I just I can't say Mike Ashi maybe wanted to keep Anita. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'll have to look at that. Um, you know, on on that, I, I think let's all just pour one out for James Perch, and um, <laughs> we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap this, and we'll pick that conversation up uh, next week a little bit because I know since we're not going to have the match to react to, we'll we'll have some time. So, anyway, guys, uh, thanks for joining me, and everybody, thanks for listening, for sending in your mailbag questions, and. Uh, This was episode 26 of Coming Home Podcastle, and we're glad to be back.